Hello, welcome back to another edition of the My Two Cents Podcast. I am your host, G2, and today I am here to talk about AEW's uh, crossover event that they have with New Japan, Forbidden Door. This is their second time doing this event. Um, that event was incredible. Forbidden Door was a great pay-per-view from start to finish. I'm going to get into the details of Forbidden Door, but before I do that, I have to talk about AEW Collision because Collision happened uh, the day before Forbidden Door, and a thing will happen on Collision that will impact uh, Forbidden Door. And to start it off, Collision, you will have Tony uh, Schiavone in the middle of the ring with Sting and Darby Allin. Sting and Darby Allin is supposed to be out here to announce who their partner was going to be at Forbidden Door. Chris Jericho and Minoru Suzuki will come out, and Chris has start pressuring Tony, asking him, since he's close with Sting, does he know who Sting and Darby Allen's partner is? And once Sting and Darby come out, Darby and Sting will let Chris know who their partner is at Forbidden Door, and it's Tasia Naito. Naito has history with um, Chris Jericho in New Japan. Naito beat Chris Jericho in New Japan for the IWGP Intercontinental Championship at Wrestle Kingdom, so that's their history. And now we have that match made official at Forbidden Door. Sting, uh, Darby Allen, and Naito going against. Minoru Suzuki, Chris Jericho, and Sammy Guevara. Now, the first match on Collision was Hiroshi Tanahashi going against Swerve with Prince Nana in Swerve's corner. Tanahashi would win the match by pinfall using the high fly flow on Swerve. The high fly flow is just basically another word for it, frog splash. And that's how Tana would beat Swerve. After the match, a video of MGF would play. MGF would tell Tana that they are going to be the opening match at Forbidden Door, which they were. Because he didn't want to be in Canada for a long time. And he doesn't want to watch indie jabronis because they are not on his level. So, we had that to look forward to at Forbidden Door. Next matchup, Andrade going against Brody King with Julie Hart in uh, King's Corner. Andrade would win the match by disqualification. When Andrade will lock in the figure 4, trying to arch his self up to lock in the figure 8. Buddy Matthews would run down to the ring and attack Andrade. After the match, Buddy and Brody will continue to attack Andrade. They will hit Dante's Inferno, leaving Andrade laying in the middle of the ring. Julia will come in holding Andrade's mask. And again, we still do not have Andrade's group, uh, La Faction, uh, Igonables, like coming out there to help him out. No LFI here. They still have not come out to help out Andrade in any bit. Last week on Collision, he got beat up. This week on Collision, he got beat up. Still no group. Hopefully we get some type of answers from his group to figure out why they have not been there to help him out. Next up, Christian Cage and Luchasaurus. They will come down to the ring for an interview with Tony Schiavone. Christian will hold the TNT Championship even though Luchasaurus is the champion. Christian will go into the Toronto fans saying they are mediocre. That's the reason why he had to leave Toronto because he wanted to uh, actually achieve something in life. And he knew that being in Toronto, he was not going to be able to do that because he would have been, just like everybody else, mediocre. He would then get into business about the TNT Championship, and he would say that the open challenge for the TNT title is over. That's dumb. And now people have to earn their shot at said championship. Christian will say that he plans on raising the prestige of this championship. And with Luchasaurus as his right hand of destruction, they will continue to be the faces of TNT. So Christian's playing the me, me, me role. That's his role as a villain. That's always been his role since he's turned on Jungle Boy. 
And now that Luchasaurus is a TNT champion, but he's just not holding the belt, Christian is holding it like he's the figurehead of the championship. Uh, it's going to be interesting because Christian and Luchasaurus, yeah, cool. We get that's their package. Christian's the brain. Luchasaurus is the brawn. The brawn does everything the brain says. It's just going to be when's going to be time for the muscle to turn on the brain. But we're not at that point yet. We're just still in this beginning factor of this pairing as champions. So we'll have to wait and see what happens with that. After this, we get to quarterfinals of the Women's Own Heart Tournament. Willow Nightingale going against uh, Nyla Rose. Willow would win the match by pinfall using the Dr. Bomb for the win. So she advances into the Women's Own Heart Tournament. After the match, the Outcast would surround the ring. Sky Blue would run down with a chair to make the save. The Outcast would retreat. This would give Willow some momentum as she goes against Tony Storm at Forbidden Door. Next up, Powerhouse Hobbs going against Jeremy Prophet. Powerhouse would win the match by pinfall using a spine buster for the win. Quick matchup, quick win for Powerhouse Hobbs. Now, main event of Collision. Eight-man tag, CMFTR and Ricky Sarks going against Bullet Club Gold's Jay White and Juice Robinson. And the Guns, Austin Gunn and Colton Gunn. Bullet Club and the Guns would win the match by pinfall when Ricky Starks would hit Jay White with a spear. Then he would hit the Guns with spears. Ricky would try to grab Jay, but Jay would push Ricky into the ropes. Juice would clock Ricky in the face with a fistful of quarters. This will allow Jay White to hit Ricky with the Blade Runner. They cover Ricky to win the match. Good, solid, fun uh, eight-man tag from all eight of these guys here. The younger talent group one here with Bullet Club, uh, the guns. And you know what? After the match, I think everybody knew it was coming. The guns are now part of Bullet Club Gold. So now you have Jay White leading this group of himself, Juice, and the guns. And you know what? It's a good look. The guns, they've been building up uh, credibility. They've been building up on their evolution of their character as a tag team together. And now that they have associated themselves with a main event player like a Jay White and a guy that could be the middleman like a Juice Robinson, it fits them. It's going to do them nicely. And hopefully you see the gun club getting back into that tag team championship opportunity as they should be because they are one of the teams that I believe the AEW should be putting uh, stock into their uh, portfolios. I'm going to be honest. CM uh, FTR, that three-man group, you know, Punk, he's going to be going after the World Championship in a little bit. He ain't got no other choice. When he wants to do it, that's when he'll do it. But FTR, they're the tag team champions. They haven't been defending the titles like that. And with the guns with Jay White now, you can see that's probably their next trajectory of FTR going against the guns. But we'll have to wait and see with that. But fun eight-man tag. I suggest you go watch Collision if you didn't go see it yet. Just for the eight-man tag if you want to see it. All that stuff go down. But it's all eight man tag. Now moving over to AEW New Japan's Forbidden Door. We will start off with the World Heavyweight Championship matchup. MJF going against Hiroshi Tanahashi. MJF would win the match by pinfall using the Dynamite Diamond Ring on Tanahashi to win the matchup here. This was a slow paced match. MJF did what he could do with Tanahashi. Um Tanahashi, he had some slipping falls and blunders with Swerve the day before in Collision. And in this match with MJF, he just moved slow. But I got to take into uh, account that MJF hasn't been wrestling as long as Tanahashi. 
Tanahashi has been wrestling for New Japan for 24 years. Tanahashi is 46, and the style that New Japan wrestles is a real demanding, taxing type style on the body. Their ring isn't as soft as uh, American rings. I know that because Awesome Kong, she talked about her time wrestling in Japan, and now she moved over to the States, and she when she wrestled in Impact, she knew the difference of the rings, how American rings were more softer than Japanese rings, so I just take that into condition or ideology here with Tanahashi and MGF and the strong style that um, New Japan has compared to the Western style over here. New Japan, they be trying to slap, beat, taste it, like just beat the devil out of each other. While over here, we try that, but to a point, like, okay, yo, dog, you gotta relax. This is still like a performative thing that we're doing over here. Calm down, relax. Japan, nah, they want to get into like a sports oriented, like slap you to the point that you can see all the sweat popping off you in that one specific uh, area. So I take that into consideration here. MGF tried to do what he could do with Tana. Tana moved slow in this, but it was still a fun match because MGF feels that New Japan is the Indies. It's not on his league to the point that he even had that on the back of his own robe that he came down to the ring with. He literally had New Japan is the Indies. So that tells you what he thinks about New Japan. And Tana was actually taking apart MGF's leg. MGF always has a bum knee. So when Tana goes after MGF's knee for a little bit, you can just tell that MGF has to resort to using the Dynamite Diamond Ring. He tried to use the championship belt, but uh, the ref took it away from him. Tana did roll up MGF, and the ref did miss seeing uh, Tana roll up MGF. And when he missed it, the crowd started to make the count, and he got up to the count of five. If the referee would have saw it, we could be saying that Tana is the new AEW World Champion, but we all knew that was going to happen. But still, the World Championship match between MGF and Tanahashi, it was a good, fun match to open up the show for Forbidden Door. But MGF is still your AEW uh world champion next up the quarterfinals for the men Owen Hart tournament it is CM Punk going against Kojima Punk would advance in the tournament by hitting Kojima with the GTS for the win Punk was booed heavy by the crowd not just at Forbidden Door but also at Collision Collision it was more 50-50 because you had certain people cheering for Punk and it was booing for Punk on Collision, but at Forbidden Door, it just seemed like it was more heavy, at least for uh, people watching it from home. You could just hear the boos. Even on commentary, they would kind of play it up, saying, yeah, like Punk's a polarizing figure here because they're in Canada. They're still holding on to Punk's uh, stuff that he did with the Elite at All Out. Kenny's from Canada, so you could already tell they sided with Kenny here. Uh, but that didn't make any difference. Punk had a good match with Kojima. Punk had fun with Kojima in this match. You could tell he had fun. I mean, there will be points where Kojima sent Punk out of the ring, right? And Kojima started popping his pecs for the crowd. And the crowd's just loving it. They're eating it up. They're cheering for Kojima. Punk would beat up Kojima, send him out of the ring. And Punk start popping his pecs in front of the crowd. They start booing Punk. Punk doesn't care. He just have a fun with that. He gets Kojima in a corner, and he starts hitting Kojima with uh, clothesline lariats over and over again. And he just starts saying, lariat, lariat. 
Kojima, Kojima, and then he looks into the camera and he says, that's for you, D. And for people that don't know, uh, Punk did a sit-down interview with himself and uh, Samoa Joe when they were in their early states in Ring of Honor, like in 2004 or 5-ish, right? And in that interview, CM Punk will talk about a prank that he pulled on the Ring of Honor booker at the time, Gabe Skopolsky. And he was pretending to be homicide over the phone, and he talked about how uh, homicide was going to not show up to one of the Ring of Honor shows as he was going to wrestle Kojima in Japan, and now Gabe had a heart attack, and he would just keep on saying Lariat, Lariat, Kojima. So that's what Punk did right there. Since he has a match with Kojima here, he just wanted to kind of play into the internet nerds that know about this type of stuff, like myself, and people on Twitter where they were eating it up as well. So I was glad I wasn't the only person that knew about that. Um, But yeah, solid, fun match. CM Punk beats Kojima. We all knew that. But now Punk has to wait to see who will be facing uh, in the semifinals of the Owen Hart Tournament. And those matches will be determined this upcoming episode of Collision. Now, next up, Fatal 4-Way for the AEW International Championship. We have the champion Arch Cassidy going against Daniel Garcia. Going against the Ring of Honor Pure Champion Shibata. Going against the New Japan Television Champion Zack Sabre Jr. Orange Cassidy would retain his championship by getting uh, Daniel Garcia in a crucifix pin. After Daniel Garcia hit Zack Sabre Jr. with a pile driver. Shibata would hit Daniel Garcia with a punk kick. Orange Cassidy would come in the ring, throw Shibata out, and then he would get Garcia in a crucifix pen for the win. Uh, fun Fatal 4-Way match, to be honest. It was fun. You had Diego Garcia still in a ring full of wrestlers. Well, two wrestlers that you know for certain. Shibata is actually Jr. And one guy who is a wrestler, but his character is just a lazy, uh, slothy guy like Orange Cassidy. But when he tries, he tries to his fullest. And that man is one of the greatest characters to actually break out a character to just start wrestling. He's one of the greats right now in this business doing it now. Because somebody like the character of Orange Cassidy, who's supposed to be nonchalant, who doesn't care, that's his whole attitude and business deal, right? But he's able to break out of that and just start wrestling with everyone and wrestle a good match with anyone he's in the ring with. That's what happened here. Orange Cassidy, he wrestled good with Shibata and Zack Sabre Jr., uh, Diego Garcia as well. And it's funny, Diego Garcia is a professional wrestler, but he's just on the Jericho bandwagon as a Jericho Appreciation Society member that he has to play the sports entertainer role. And he did that here in this match here when Shibata and Zack Sabre Jr. they would be throwing shots at one another. Diego Garcia would just walk like up to them and they'll just like start shoving Garcia out of the way to just start hitting one each other again. Garcia would get to the point that he would just start, again, going over to them, trying to get into it, but they'll push him away. And then you see Shibata hit Diego Garcia. Then you see Zach hit Diego Garcia. And Diego Garcia would stop, and then he'll just put his dukes up, and he just start thrusting his hips, the same dance that he does over and over again. And Diego Garcia would get punched by Shibata. Zach Sabre Jr. would punch Diego Garcia. And Diego Garcia would just start doing his dance again and again. That was one of the fun mad things about that match. Diego Garcia, he has now incorporated his sports entertainer 
uh, ability in his wrestling matches to at least give people something to be entertained by and set himself apart from all the wrestlers. So I'm glad that he's able to do that. Now, after the match was done, you will see uh, Zack Sabre Jr. He'll grab the international championship. He'll get in Orange Cassidy's face and let him know that he isn't done with him. Shibata will then get in the ring. And now you have a stare down between all the champions, except for Dale Garcia. Garcia will already have left the ring and walked to the back. And it looks like we're setting up for a triple threat match, maybe. But Zack Sabre Jr. will leave the ring. Uh, Shibata and Orange Cassidy, they will shake hands. And then they'll just pose in the middle of the ring before they leave. Now, on to the next match, the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship match. Champion Sonata going against Jungle Boy, who will have Hook in his corner. Shibata would win the match by pinfall, using a moonsault to win the match. You know, I said this was going to be the Dark Horse match of the night, to be honest with you. A match that people was questioning why it's on here. Jungle Boy isn't ready or something like that. Like, that was the consensus going around for this match when it got, like, announced when Jungle Boy took open the open challenge for the uh, World Championship for uh, New Japan. That was just the consensus. Why is Jungle Boy in this mix? And I thought to myself, and I even said it, this could be the Dark Horse match of the night. Like, we got to give some props to Jungle Boy for stepping up against Sonata. I said that. And when I watched the match, I thought to myself, okay, this is a match that will be forgotten by people. Yes, I mean, cool. Jungle Boy did some moves. Sonata did some moves. Cool. But this is a match that you really could have just put on Dynamite or even a Rampage. If they probably would have put it on a Rampage, they probably would have made it special. But this is just a regular match that you just could have put on either show. And it just would have been all right. And it was just eyed on this pay-per-view. Now, the thing that made it something was the aftermath. Because after the match was done, Hook would help Jungle Boy out of the ring and up the ramp. And it seems that we're just going to move over to our next transition for the next uh, wrestling match to happen. But the camera will pop back over to Jungle Boy and Hook as Sonata's music would end. Hook would raise up Jungle Boy's arm so the crowd can cheer Jungle Boy. And once he does this, Jungle Boy will soak in the cheers for a minute and he would stop and then he would just clothesline Hook. And now the crowd is just booing Jungle Boy. And Jungle Boy looks like he got a burst of energy and he just looks at the crowd and he just starts soaking it all in. He just like does the whole come on, feed me your booze type gesture. And he would just get up and then look at Hook and then walk up the ramp more. He'll grab the FTW Championship, look at it, and then he will just throw it over to Hook. And now this signifies that Jungle Boy probably is going after the FTW Championship. This is probably going to be his feud. And to be honest with you, I thought it was going to be Hook turning on Jungle Boy, if I'm going to be completely honest. I thought they were not going to pull the trigger on Jungle Boy uh, being a bad guy. I didn't think so. But once I saw this happen, I said, okay, it makes sense. The crowd hates them. They've been booing Jungle Boy for a good solid about, what, month and a half, two months now? They've been doing that to Jungle Boy. So I can see them now just going full-fledged with it. And somebody even uh, said in their one of their reactions that you could see Jungle Boy even going back to Christian Cage and saying, you know what, you were right. 
They don't care about me. I have to care about myself. So we could see the reform of Christian now leading a jungle boy who's willing to do what it takes and a luchasaur. So we could see the reform of these three guys in these uh, bad guy roles, but we'll have to wait and see with that. And also, Taz, he played it great. Taz is the father of Hook. He was on commentary for that moment, and he was not happy with this at all. He was saying, what the hell is Jungle Boy doing? And the crowd was saying, uh, you effed up to Jungle Boy. And Taz would say, yep, he sure did. So you could tell, probably Taz is going to be in his son's corner whenever Jungle Boy is going to be going against uh, Hook, whenever that match is announced. Now, the next matchup, 10-man tag match. Blackpool Combat Clubs, John Moxley, Claudio Castagnoli, Wheeler Yuta, and Shooter Umino, and uh, Konosuke Takeshita going against the Elites, Hangman Page, the Young Bucks, Eddie Kingston, and Tomohiro Ishii. The Elite, Kingston, and Ishii would win the match by pinfall, but Ishii would hit a uh, standing vertical brainbuster on Wheeler Yuta for the win. This was a chaotic match and to boil it all down the story of this match was moxley and kingston's friendship you would get moxley and kingston they'll have their stare down in the middle of the ring the crowd is cheering because we're going to see these two friends about to battle with each other and you see them first start jaw jacking with each other and moxley tries to walk away from kingston kingston pulls mox around and Moxley just elbows Kingston in the face. Now that has Kingston wired to the point like, okay, this is what we want to do? Okay, we'll do it. So now you get a punch-chop deal between Mox and Kingston. Then they just start going straight chopping each other. They start chopping each other in the chest. Wheeler Yuta comes in. You see Kingston chopping Yuta. You see Nick Jackson come in. Moxley chops uh, Nick Jackson. And then you see all the participants start coming in. Now we got a brawl. Everybody's brawling with each other except for Moxley and Kingston. Kingston and Moxley are still doing their whole chop off with each other. Then we start getting into the usual uh, chaotic stuff of the 10-man tag. You get the tag team start doing tag maneuvers on uh, the opposing uh, team members. Uh, you have Shota Umino working well with uh, Takeshita. The Bucks and Hangman worked well as they start putting the beats to a Willa Yuta. Uh, Claudio, he'll be going at Kingston. And Mox, he wouldn't try to sucker punch Kingston, none at all in this matchup at all. But there was one moment in this match where Kingston did save Mox. When Young Bucks are going on their super kick party stuff. And they super kick Shooter Umino. They shoot super kick uh, Takeshita. They super kick Yuta and Claudio. Now they start super kicking uh, Mox. And now Moxley's on his knees. And they're about to hit a double super kick on Moxley's head. You would see Kingston rush in, push Mox, and Kingston would eat the double super kick. And now you got the Young Bucks kind of looking at Kingston. And then you see all the rest of Blackpool Combat Club just start getting in and start beating up on the Bucks. But that doesn't matter. As I said, the Bucks, uh, Hangman. Kingston and Ishii would win the match, but it's just an interesting tale because you have Kingston who still has love for Mox and he doesn't want nobody to do any harm to Mox. And it's just that thing because Mox would not help 
Kingston get beat up by uh, his stablemates. But Kingston will help Mox make sure he doesn't get kicked in the face by the Bucks. It's just a nice uh, storytelling uh, element that we have here. And it's going to be more interesting whenever they finally like explore that more. Is Kingston just going to one day challenge Mox to a match? And they already did it before. But I'm talking about now in this new dynamic. And Claudio's going to come out and say something foul that Mox isn't probably going to like. And I'm just waiting for that ticking time bomb element to really like kick off. Because stables there stay around for a minute. But with a friendship like Kingston and Mox has, a stable really doesn't hold or compare to that friendship. At least in the long run. So I can't wait to see where they're going with that story with... Uh, the Platte Bull Combat Club, and Eddie Kingston in specific. Next up, the AEW Women's Championship match. Tony Storm going against Willow Nightingale. Tony would retain her championship by thumbing Willow in her eyes, then hitting Storm Zero for the win. Solid match. Willow, she took uh, advantage. Well, not advantage, because advantage is like a bad guy term. She was, she was handling Tony towards the end of the match. Until Tony grabbed the ref and shielded herself and then gouged Willow and eyes, and the referee didn't see that. But uh, this was a nice match for Willow to showcase her power, showcase her dominance against the champion, and to give people at least some type of faith and make them think that she was going to win the title. But I don't think nobody believed that one, to be honest with you. I think everybody knew Tony was going to retain her championship, so that's what happened. But solid match here. Next up, this was the match of the night. Clear, cut, and dry. The IWGP United States Championship match, Kenny Omega, the champion, going against the challenger, Will Ospreay, who comes out with Don Callis and two security guards. Because uh, Ospreay, he's been talking bad about Canada. And Don Callis, he just wanted to play kiss butt, and he just wants to make Kenny Omega's life a living hell. That's the reason why he sided with Will Ospreay here. Ospreay would win the match by hitting a hidden blade. Then it goes into the Stormbreaker to win the IWGP United States Championship match. I did not calculate how long this match went. Somebody calculated it up, and they said it went about 40 minutes. And I'm going to say they probably did go about 40 minutes, and I'm going to say this. Adam Cole going against Filthy Tom Lawler, that match did not happen because Adam Cole, he came down with illness. Tony Khan will tweet that like hours before the pay-per-view started. So, I'm going to be honest, I think they took that time that was supposed to be allotted to that match, and they put it and added it on to Kenny and Will Ospreay's match to make it about 40 minutes. But they had a long match, and this match was slow, and it started to build up into something towards the end. This was different from their Wrestle Kingdom match. Their Wrestle Kingdom match, it felt fast-paced, it felt like a Kenny Omega style New Japan match like his type of stuff when he got into the main event stuff with Okada like his first Okada match that's the way Kenny and uh, Osprey had their match in New Japan earlier this year this match it was different Will Osprey he came in composed he didn't try to rush it to get at Kenny he just started to move slow he started to get at Kenny and he actually was beating up on Kenny a lot at the beginning. He actually was able to make Kenny bleed by bashing his head in 
multiple times on the commentary table, and he was do that as a way to get back at Kenny for making him bleed at Wrestle Kingdom. But nevertheless, Kenny would return the favor. He would make Will Ospreay bleed yet again here by bouncing his head multiple times off the steel steps, and Osprey would bleed. And they will have that mat like be bloody. And at one point, uh, Don Callis would get kicked out. He would be sent to the back. But before the match would end, like later, he would come down to the ringside. And somehow the referee just kept him there. He allowed him to still be there. But Don Callis, when he would get into it with the ref for a little bit, he would like sneakily hide a flathead and he like pushed it over to Will Ospreay so Ospreay could use it. And when Kenny had Osprey up for the one wing angel, you will see Osprey pop Kenny in the head with the uh, flathead, hit him with the hidden blade, go for the stormbreaker, hit him with it. Kenny would then put his foot on the ropes, and that's would break up that uh, pinning maneuver. Later, Osprey will go for the one winged angel. He will hit it, and you would think that's ball game because nobody ever kicks out of the one winged angel. Wrong. Kenny Omega he kicks out. He kicks out at one, and the crowd goes dumb stupid. People are, again, they're feeling this match. This match is rocking. I mean, people are losing their mind. And I'm not certain if this move came before the one-winged angel or after, but Will Ospreay, he will hit Kenny Omega with a Tyler, uh, not a Tyler driver, but a Tiger driver, 91. And Kenny Omega head would hit the mat, and people started it like, squinched her face up, because usually, someone hitting that move, and then somebody's, like, opponent's head hitting the mat, you always gotta be cautious, because you think their neck might break, so people are hoping that Kenny's neck's alright, but in the end, Will Ospreay, he's your new IWGP United States Champion, solid, solid, solid match from Ospreay and Kenny, and I will suggest you guys go and watch it, please, if you do not watch their uh, first match that they had at Wrestle Kingdom, go and watch that, and then go and watch their second match, and do compare and contrast. See which one you like more than the other, if you are that type of way. Me, I'm going to say I like their first one. This second one is still good. I mean, it's it's a banger. But for me, I like the New Japan Kenny Omega style a lot more than his uh, AEW style that he works here. I like that uh, hard-hitting, fast-paced, uh, strong style that Kenny Omega is known for in New Japan than his uh, stuff that he's done so far here in AEW when he's softened it down in AEW. And I understand why, because he works weekly. New Japan was always like, specifically, if not monthly, bi-monthly. So it didn't take too much toll on his body. So again... I understand why they had to slow it down, but I like his first match that he had with Osprey more than the second one. But the second one is still a banger. Now, next up, the trio sh- uh, matchup to calm the crowd back down. Chris Jericho, Minoru Suzuki, and Sammy Guevara going against Sting, Darby Allin, and Tessia Naito. Sting, Darby, and Naito would win the match by pinfall when Naito would roll up Suzuki for the win. Solid trios match. Again, this was just another match to kind of cool the crowd down so they can get themselves together for the main event. But in this match, they did have a high spot in it where Sting was on a table and Sammy was told by Chris Jericho to hit Sting with a 
30 through the table, and he did. So that was like their big like moment in this, but solid six-man tag. But again, it was nothing but just a uh, calm-down match so we can get to our main event, which would be Brian Danielson going against Kazushka Okada. And before I get into the match, Brian Danielson, he came out to the song Final Countdown. His Ring of Honor theme, the theme that people have been asking and begging for Tony Khan to bring back since he basically purchased Ring of Honor and even before then. Tony Khan gave Brian Danielson the final countdown here because you have Brian Danielson, one of, if not the greatest of all time, at least in this era of professional wrestlers, going against Kazushka Okada, a guy that people have been saying that he is going to go down as one of the greatest of all times. And Brian, he comes out with the final countdown. He's happy to hear that. And he's has a happy face. You can tell it because when people say the final countdown and they actually sing that part, Brian, he has a smile on his face when he poses up on the turnbuckle. Um, Okada will come out. He'll do his regular Okada uh, entrance. He has the Okada Bucks coming running, raining down from the uh, ceiling. And before they even lock up, the fans are chanting, holy crap. So you already can tell the anticipation for what people want. Because again, greatest of all time going against could be one of the greatest of all times. And Brian, he would win the match by making Okada tap out to a double arm uh, label lock. And somebody on Twitter mentioned that. Um, Okada, he has not submitted since, I believe, 2015, I believe, G1 Climax tournament match against Shinsuke Nakamura. So that is, if I'm not mistaken, that's eight years. Okada has not tapped out in eight years, and Brian Danielson was the one to make Okada tap out here. Now, it did not go as long as people wanted it to, and I'm not mad at it. I'm not mad at it. I'm just going to be blunt. I'm not mad that it did not go as long as people want. It went about a good, what, 10, not going to say 10. I'll give it 15, almost 20 minutes match here. Because you guys got to remember, this pay-per-view was pushing straight up four hours. And, dog, you only can retain so much of people's, like, attention span for a four-hour long pay-per-view, but then you got to take in the pre-show for people that watch the pre-show. Then that's about five hours. Dog, relax. Um, there was a moment in this match where Brian, he would act like he's having a seizure in the ring, and I don't want to say act because he probably could have been, but I'm going to say act because I don't want that to be placed on AEW's uh, conscience, so I'm going to go with with. Brian faking having a seizure in the ring. Brian would fake having a seizure in the ring. Uh, the referee would call a medical personnel in here to look at Brian. Okada would back off for a minute, but then he would walk up to Brian and he would walk up to the ref and the medicals telling them to back away from Brian. He will grab Brian and try to hit him with uh, the Rainmaker. Brian would duck it. He'll run the ropes and then hit the Paseco knee on Okada. So, I'm going to say that he was faking the seizure stuff, but that had people freaked out because people know about Daniel Bryan's head traumas, and Bryan has spoken about having seizures in the past, so him mixing 
reality in with this. It just had people afraid because, again, Brian Danielson, anytime he gets dropped on his head or anything, is a big question mark. And we all get, like, nervous for Brian with that. But Brian and Okada, they had a good, solid match. They were able to do what they had to do, but people are clamoring for more. People hope that they get another match. They run it back at Wrestle Kingdom. I don't see it probably being run back at Wrestle Kingdom because, as I said before, New Japan, strong style, Brian Danielson, neck. You probably got to pick and choose your battles here. They'll probably do it at another time. I'll say give it probably another year. Not for Ben Door style, but probably what? A revolution or a double or nothing. Or they could just run it back again next year for Ben Door. Let Okada get more seasoned. Brian be able to talk his talk. And we can run it back next year after Bendora. It's all up to them. But I don't think we're going to get it at Wrestle Kingdom. I could be dead wrong. But that's just me. I don't think we're going to get it at uh, Wrestle Kingdom. Because again, strong style. But it's all up to Brian. If he's cool with wrestling that strong style type of strong hitting that New Japan is going to want. Then cool. They do that. But me... I don't think he should be doing that. I think he should try to stick with the style that he's mastered over here in the West. But that's not up to me. That's up to Brian Danielson. Now, having said everything, that's your AEW New Japan Forbidden Door review. I hope you guys get an opportunity to go check it out one way or another. Um, try to find it on YouTube. Try to pay for it. Do what you can do to watch Forbidden Door. Again, it was a great pay-per-view. And uh, I hope you guys enjoy the review and if you haven't listened to my sunday episode it's called leave it go and listen to it now and if you want to listen to more wrestling uh stuff that i talked about like from the past week i have it in my wrestling highlights of the week and also next week i will be talking about money in the bank money in the bank is coming up uh this week so that pay-per-view and that review will be coming up next week as well so with that all being said i hope you guys have a great day i hope you guys have a great week i will be back wednesday with my midweek episode my saturday with my saturday uh wrestling highlights of the week episode my sunday episode as well and also money in the bank review now with that being said i love you all please have a great day see you guys later Looking at you,